That's in the Bible, episode 21. The Christian Warfare. Are you being attacked? Times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, how's that stay? Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Jesus is coming. Hello, and welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name's Eric, and we've got a full house here tonight. We've got, of course, Steve over in Western New York. How you doing, Steve? Doing just fine, thanks. And we've got Matt up in Syracuse. Doing great. And here in the studio, I'm going to let you guys introduce yourself, starting with... Pastor Matt Smith here in uh, Binghamton, New York. Evangelist Joseph Knuff from uh, Reserve, New Mexico, Temple Baptist Church. And welcome. And of course, my name is Eric, and we've got a full house tonight. And uh, the Christian warfare, are you being attacked? That's going to be good, Steve, and I'm glad you could bring that for us tonight. We had actually intended to do this even another night, um, but uh, actually a couple of nights in a row we've got, uh, we got waylaid. So, but here we are tonight. So it's good to good to have you guys. We have actually have had Pastor Strobel join us on on one occasion, but he's out in California right now. So we're looking forward to having him join us again real soon too. So what's new with you guys? Not much. It seems like it's been a while since we've done this. So it's uh, it's great to be back, and it's great to be uh, back in uh, what is the Studio C, uh, Steve? Yeah, and, I'm uh, in Studio B. <laughs> so uh, it's real good to be back. It's. Uh, it's just a blessing to be saved. I've been thinking about it a lot the last few days, and and uh, I was telling uh, you, uh, Dad, uh, that uh, you know I've had a couple people um, actually, um, you know, one committed suicide, another person uh, died from cancer that I went to school with. So a bunch of young people are dying, and you know when you're saved uh, as a Christian, you know you always know there's a hell. You always know you got to preach the gospel and and save souls from hell. Um, but man, right now for me, hell is that much closer and, uh, and not, you know, I feel like I can, you know, see souls going there more and more and, uh, it's just totally opened up my eyes even more now. So, uh, so I'm just uh, so thankful that the Lord's merciful and that I'm saved tonight. Amen. I agree. And I just, I just got word that a fellow that I went to high school with, which I, who I hadn't really seen since high school and that I wasn't saved back then. And, uh, I, I have no reason to believe that he had gotten saved either just judging from some of the uh, people that still knew him he had just died and of course i still think of him as this young kid in high school you know but of course he's like my age now and it's hard to believe that he slipped off into eternity now too you know yeah but you know work or the world and life isn't just a a, you know a, a, a game it's it's the real it's the real thing and we got one shot going through and and uh i think some people just somehow avoid the thought of that something could happen to them that will send them off into eternity, but you never know. And one of the, uh, <clears throat> my friend that uh, committed suicide, I mean, he was just one year older than I was. And, uh, you know, I just think about that. I don't, uh, you know, he might have been saved, but uh, all likelihood, I don't believe he was. Um, so I just think about that. You know, he thinks he's going to get out of all his pain, all of his sorrows. And uh, I just think about that rich man that lifted up his eyes in hell. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just think about that. And, and I think about all the people, even younger people, that think they can get out of their troubles by, uh, 
you know, drinking or doing drugs or even committing suicide. And, and uh, again, you know, the devil's uh, just such a, you know, a spiritual warfare, you know, that the, the devil can blind your eyes and blind your heart. And uh, so you don't even think about this, these spiritual matters. And, and uh, just, uh, it just should be more of a call for us to get out there and just uh, preach the word with uh, unashamedly and, and uh, just lift up our voices like a trumpet. Amen. 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 So you, you're street preaching for the Syracuse game tomorrow, Matt? Yeah, we're going out tomorrow. It's a it's a seven o'clock uh, game, seven p.m. So the people will be pretty uh, uh, juiced up. You know, they'll have a lot to drink, and uh, so I'll, I'll probably be out there around four thirty, five o'clock, and mm. preach for a, a few hours. And and uh, it's definitely good because there's really only one street for them all to walk up. You know, so there's about forty, fifty thousand people walking up within the couple hours there, going up to the stadium. And uh, so it's just a blessing to be out there to be able to just uh, hand out some gospel tracts, but but most importantly, you know, preach the word. Amen. 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 So, Steve, what's new on your end there? Well, not a whole lot. I mean, uh, just doing the things that we normally do. Uh, we were at uh, Attica uh, Prison earlier this week, and and uh, was with there with there with a couple of uh, friends of mine that go up in there and uh, dealing with some guys in a Baptist Bible study. And uh, taught on Wednesday night, uh, doing some things on on church history. Actually, going through uh, what is commonly called the, the Baptist distinctives, and going through a few of those, and have a few more to uh, to to uh, finish up, and then uh, go into some history and some Baptist uh, uh, from the past, and try to let our people know who you know our ancestors were, who are uh, what our heritage is. And uh, kind of get a flavor for that. And uh, coming up, we've got uh, uh, we go down to City Mission and preach down there. And then uh, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to get out on a place that's kind of mimicked itself or, or imitated itself from from uh, Bourbon Street in in New Orleans. Uh, mm. Here in Buffalo, it's it's a place called Chippewa Chippewa Street. And it's just uh, a block or two of just one bar after another after another kind of storefront bars and uh, get a chance to, to preach on the street, pass out tracks. Uh-huh. And so my, uh, my youngest daughter went down with her friend down to uh, Pensacola to go to the uh, um, Bad Attitude Baptist blowout down there. And they're, they're in the midst of the, of the uh, meetings down there. And, Really enjoying themselves. I got two boys that are going down there to school, so it's uh, it's been a lot of fun just hearing them uh, recant, uh, you know, rehearse some of the things going on down there and and uh, enjoying themselves hearing the preaching of the Word of God. Amen. Amen. And how would you like me to refer to you as, Brother Joe? Brother Joe. Brother yeah. Joe. You want to talk a little bit about what you do and and sure, uh, sure. I'm an evangelist out of a camp down in. Uh, New Mexico. It's called Apache Creek Deaf and Youth Ranch, and it's located in the um, largest county of New Mexico, but there are only about 3,500 people in that uh, county, but there are 37,000 elk. It's high wow. uh, pine country, about 7,000 feet up, and we have um, a, a camp down there for disadvantaged youth. We'll bring in inner city uh, kids, you know, gang members from El Paso, Texas, and uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and also um, we'll bring in Pueblo Apache uh, and um, Navajo Indians and give them a free week of camp. Over half our camps during the summertime are absolutely free, 
and we um, also have two weeks of deaf camp and um, it's uh, it's an amazing ministry our focus is the gospel especially in in those weeks and uh, we'll have usually around 200 kids saved throughout the the um, summertime and around um, 300 or, or so uh, called to preach to full-time ministry they say that over 80 percent of people in full-time ministry were called at Bible camp and there's just something unique about a camp and getting away uh, from you know the uh, the everyday life we live here in the city and, and tuning into God and his word. Uh, that really, I, th- I think, touches young people. And so it's a unique camp, and uh, I love being there. And what I do, I'm the program director in the in the summertime, so I uh, am in charge of the games and skits and musics and all, all the services, and I'm just going and going and going. And I travel on the weekends, usually put a quartet or something together, take them out on the weekends and promote the mm-hmm. camp. And then I plan in the fall, winter, and spring, I, I plan trips to different regions and uh, so I, I plan to come to the Northeast. I've preached mainly out in the West the last four years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know um, a few pastors up here and decided to come up here. And God has been good to have a few revivals and in presenting the ministry uh, kind of like a missionary. Uh, but uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful summer and just saw so many amazing victories. We had uh, a young person, I remember this summer, that was struggling with homosexuality and uh, it was, you know, one of those things where um, we, we found out about it because she was offended by something we said in the preaching, mm-hmm. and uh, it was inner city week, so they, it's pretty rough preaching because mm-hmm. they they're dealing with rough things, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, we Wednesday night we give our first invitation, and uh, we we start we preach five times a day to them the word of God, and uh, we have all kinds of activities and everything, but. Um, we gave our the invitation that first Wednesday night, and we had about seventy five kids come and and get saved. We dealt with them all one on one, and uh, we're up till about midnight that night. The Lord really blessed, but there's this one girl that really we were just all praying for nine o'clock. All of the staff and counselors get together, and we we're just praying for this girl. We didn't want to see her leave mm-hmm. without uh, you know accepting Jesus Christ and. Um, we prayed for and prayed for us and it seemed like nothing was going to happen. And the last night of camp, Friday night, they actually, we had a service and then they got up and they went and left because we have to uh, go into Phoenix. We like to go in at night because it, it can overheat the bus and everything. It's just uh, hot there in the summertime. And um, <clears throat> she got up at the end of the service and, and uh she said, with the Lord's help, I'm going to change, and I'd, I'd like to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. So that was a major Amen. victory, and, and uh, I love the camp ministry there, and, and we see victories like that so many times, and so it's not because of what we're doing, it's just the Lord and His goodness, and Satan fights us every year, doesn't want us to start up camp, but uh, with the Lord's grace and help, we, we start up every year and see many saved. So it's a wonderful Amen. ministry, I'm glad to be up here in the uh, northeast i'm from originally the northwest and this kind of reminds me of of that you know mm-hmm. it's green and a lot of trees and all mm-hmm. that and um, i'm glad to be here and glad to see my old friend pastor matt so it's good to be on tonight yeah it's good to have Hello. you and then we're glad you glad you could join us now is that where rick and grace and mike went last summer? uh yes it is huh now, will I get an invitation to come this summer? Hey, anytime you want to come down, we'll put you in the log cabin and feed you, and I'll take you out to Bugle the Elk. That'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. I'll take some photos. I'll take a lot of pictures. I'm kind of a shade tree photographer in my spare time. Oh, yeah. Pastor Matt, what's new with you? I uh, just had a, had a great day today, actually. Uh, 
got a chance. I got a, a man in the church who got saved at about two months ago at our missions conference, and uh, and ever since then he's really he's really been on on fire. I've been discipling him, going over his house and and doing a Bible study with him. And uh, he came to me and said, he goes, I got the day off Friday. He goes, <laughs> he goes, uh, he goes, how about we go downtown and pass out tracks? Uh, not every day you have someone say that so of course (laughs) you know we jumped right on it went out and uh and sure enough man he was he seemed more eager you know than you know he was every person that walked by he was given a track and and uh and he went to hand it to this one one guy he was he was a muslim and the guy said what is that what is that and he and he looked at me didn't know what to say to the guy i go well it's a you know it's a gospel track about jesus christ and and the guy wouldn't take it and i'm sure you've probably ran to it you know before i mean muslims they won't Mm -hmm. take Right. Your literature, they they're they you know they're told not to, told not to touch it, not to look at it, and and uh, you know I'm saying you know I told I told the guy that that's with me, the guy that just got saved, I said you know you can look at anything you want. I go and I'll, I can prove it you know prove it wrong through through the word of God. I said uh, we're not afraid of any other literature that's out there uh, that we have God's word. I go well they're afraid they're afraid they're yeah. going to stumble into <laughs> the truth and they're not they're going to leave the uh, you know Islam. Yep. That's good. Yeah. Uh, but we also ran into a guy from from uh, the Assemblies of God Church, and he was trying to explain salvation to me, and it was just, it was the most confusing thing I ever heard. <laughs> he, he goes, he goes, salvation is like this duffel bag. He grabbed a duffel bag, and he, and he threw it over to the, on the ground, and then he picked it up, and he goes, you have to take the, take the you know, salvation, and he unzipped it and started taking his clothes out of the bag, and said, and you have to use each one of these gifts, you know, in order to be saved. Oh, and, boy. Oh, and, wow. uh, and so I, you know, I tried to straighten him out. I don't know how far I got, but, uh, hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of confusion out there, and yeah. and uh, we're, we just went out, and it was exciting. It was exciting to see, mm-hmm. you know, his zeal, and then he said, he goes, we gotta do this again, you know. Mm-hmm. That's great. And so Lord. it was a, it was a good time. I had a good time today. Amen. You know, didn't get much studying done, but uh, we got the word out. Amen. 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 And I've been working with a guy for a few years now, and uh, you know, and I I haven't been really forceful with him or talking about you know the Bible or the gospel and things, but every so often he'll come back and ask me a few questions. Well, it, he's been talking about actually coming on to the show with us and um, talking, uh, letting us, or he, him a- asking us questions mm. about the Christian faith and, you know, those kinds of things. And and it just hasn't worked out with schedule-wise, but the other day he asked me, a couple of days ago he asked me, you know, I just want to run this by you. Tell me what you think. Would uh, What do you think about, you know, maybe you you having a Bible study with me about like once a week uh, during lunch? And I said, <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's how many good. invitations do you get like that where people come up and ask <laughs> yeah. you, can you show me from the Bible, you know, what it says? And uh, he asked me the other day about prophecy. He says, you know, what, what, what's, I'm interested in prophecy, you know. And I think a lot of particularly lost people are. That's one of the things that yeah. they hook into. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I talked to him a little bit about, you know, the Israel becoming a state, which was what, a country back in 1948 was the last thing in God's prophetic calendar that needed to have happen. And uh, right now we're, we're uh, listening for a sound. We're, we're waiting to go for the rapture. And uh, mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about what happens if you don't go in the rapture. You know, got seven years of tribulation. And, and uh, he asked me uh, yesterday then, now I just want to ask you this, he said, now, ju- judging from what you know about me and what you know uh, I'm probably not going to be one of those that are going to go up, all right? I'm not going to go poof and be gone. I'm going to have to go through the bad stuff, right? And I said, well, you know, I started to ask him a little about, you know, well, where do you, th- you know, think you'll be after you die? And uh, he goes, oh, I know where you're going with this. I've listened to a couple of your shows now. I know what's coming up. <laughs> so, and we, you know, we work in a public school, so we don't have a lot of time to 
to talk. Um, so Monday at lunchtime. So his name is Mike. Keep keep him in prayer right. if you would. Amen. All right, Matt. Do you have our quote of the day? I do. All right. Well, here we go with Matt and our quote of the day. Oh, and that that didn't work at all, did it? <laughs> let, let me try this again. My battery on my laptop is a little bit low. Let's go again. All right. Well, we have a quote from Martin Luther, and this is what he says. He says, I am much afraid that the universities will prove to be the gates of hell unless they diligently labor to explain the holy scriptures and engrave them upon the hearts of youth. I advise no one to place his child where the scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution where men are not unceasingly occupied with the word of God must become corrupt. I mean, this is Martin Luther, and, and you see, I mean, you don't hear this preach most, you know, very often anymore from, uh, from really any preachers, and, and, uh, or really from anybody. But you look at this, and Martin Luther is not too far away from really what the school system has become. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's just a great, uh, it's, it's pretty rough, and it's pretty crude. Uh, but I really truly believe that that's what's going on, you know, with the the school systems today. And and I have a couple more um, uh, quotes here also that go along with it. It'll just let take a minute. But I thought these were really pretty uh, pretty amazing, you know. And and uh, when you look back, uh, 88 of the first 100 colleges in America were organized to promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now John Witherspoon, the first president of Princeton University, said, and I quote. Cursed be all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ, unquote. Then you've got in 1754, King's College, which now is known as Columbia College, advertised that, and I quote, the chief thing that is aimed at in this college is to teach and engage children to know God in Jesus Christ. And you also had Harvard. They had a set of rules and, and precepts in 1646, which stated that, and I quote, Everyone shall consider the main end of his life and study to know God in Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Now, you've got 50, 52% of Harvard's 17th century graduates become ministers. I mean, you look now today, you look at all these colleges, Harvard, Princeton, you know, Brown University, all these colleges that were set up to be uh, a college where they would teach uh, the Bible. I mean, you don't have that anymore. And uh, I thought this was pretty good. You know, what, what's really the American education system now? And uh, I've got this quote from George Reisman, and it says he's a professor of economics at Pepperdine University. And this is what he says. He says, this is no longer an educational system. Its character has been completely transformed, and it now clearly reveals itself to be what for many decades it has been in the process of becoming, namely an agency working for the barbarization of youth. So he's pretty much saying that... Uh, you know, these, these colleges, these high schools and, and middle schools, all that kind of stuff is just an institution of uh, making our children barbarians. And uh, really, when you think about it, I mean, you know, they're teaching uh, evolution that we come from monkeys and apes and stones and rocks. And, uh, you know, and just pretty much do what you want to do is, is what it is. You know, there's, there's rules and regulations, but really, you know, live the life to the fullest. And, and uh, I mean, really, kids are coming out and you see the kids, their attitudes nowadays, and they're really barbarians. And and uh, really, Martin Luther was uh, was right on. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, the colleges are, obviously, you take a look at the lifestyles and, and the hazing and the drinking and the drugs and and the, the subject matter. You know, we could go into some of the, some of the subjects that they have for, as far as classes are concerned and some of the most ridiculous things, you know, underwater basket weaving and and uh, you know, just really off the wall stuff. Uh, exploring your dreams, 
uh, I think they had a class in one college that studied the the, the sitcom Seinfeld. Um, you know, just all kinds of things like that, which, you know, really don't accomplish anything really at all. I mean, I know that they'll try to justify it in some way by trying to, you know, spin it around, but really they don't accomplish anything at all. And the, the lifestyle that's, that's promoted there is just anything but, but godly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was bad enough when I was in college and, and, uh, that was back in the early seventies and, and, uh, I can't imagine what it's like now. It's just, just unbelievable. Just seeing some things. I mean, when we took my own, uh, oldest son, we went to, to a university and some of the things that we saw and, uh, thankful that he had a, a good enough background here at home that he was able to stay straight through, through all the college and, and, uh, get through all of that. But I guess the, the point that I want to get to is, is that, uh, years and years and years ago, probably back in the early 1900s, uh, the people that <laughs> had the philosophy that wanted to get rid of God were starting in the higher education. They started in college, and they introduced uh, people that would uh, uh, teach against God and uh, mock God and deny God. And, of course, there was much opposition at the time, but gradually they wore people down until now, if you bring up God, you're the oddball. And uh, uh, now, because of that, they've trained the educators. And the educators not only go into college profession, but they go into the secondary schools and they go into the primary schools. And now they've got the lifestyle that was in college back in my day going on in high schools and, and even junior high schools and I dare say even primary schools now. So it's just getting to the point where evolution is taking over and everyone's turning into an animal and they're living like that and it's anything but godly. The only thing that's going to help this thing at all is is a bunch of uh, John the Baptist standing up there and preaching and and not caring what people think of him. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. I got the new uh, issue of the NEA today, and and it's it's we could go through some of that sometime. I think I'm going to skip that for now, but it it just <clears throat> fills in all the stuff that you know we've been talking about here, and and uh, it's not good. I mean, did you hear the did you hear the YouTube stuff that's uh, that uh, is out as a classroom, and I forgot where it is, where they have the little kids uh, singing these songs to Obama and praising his name. Really? And, oh yeah. <laughs> Um, I you know what I'll do? I'll try and find a sound clip for it and then insert wow. it right here into the uh, into the podcast.
but it's uh, it's almost like North Korea or China, you know, where they they indoctrinate those kids into you know the leader, and mm-hmm. that's what this sounds like. It's it's kind of frightening, wow. <laughs> you know, the way they go on about it. It's pretty scary. Well, Steve, we know we want to get to your uh, your episode tonight, your lesson in the Christian warfare, you being attacked. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're going to go ahead and go to that, unless somebody else has something else they want to they want to join in with. And that silence means no; it means we're ready to go. <laughs> so, Steve, go ahead, take it away. All right, guys. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, uh, teach once again on the podcast. And uh, the title, again, just um, so that we're clear, The Spiritual Warfare, Are You Being Attacked? You know, uh, sometimes Christians or or people get saved and they, you know, they get saved yet so as by fire. They don't really want to do anything for God. They just want to get some fire insurance and, and, uh, uh, you know, they don't want to go to hell, but they don't want to get too involved either. And uh, for some of those people, this, this subject is going to be extremely foreign. Uh, but for those Christians that, that know something about uh, their Bible and uh, know something about life as a Christian, they're going to understand what I'm going to say here very quickly. There are three enemies that uh, the Christian has in this life. And uh, the first one is the world, the world system. Uh, how the how the uh, governmental systems, the religious systems, the uh, 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 philosophies of today work against the Christian, uh, trying to get them to uh, become weak and fall and sin and and uh, back off from being a Christian. You also have the flesh, which is uh, you know all you have to do is read Romans six, seven, and eight and find out about this flesh and how it wars against you. And it's a never-ending battle. Of, of the three, this one is, is probably the toughest because you can't get away from it. Your flesh is with you all the time. And it's making demands of you. I think we covered this in the, in the last podcast that I taught on the, on the two natures with the uh, title, uh, Are Christians Really Nuts?, and uh, that was discussed here. What I want to do this time is talk about the spiritual warfare. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we use the term, you know, the, the devil's really after me today. You know, oh, man, the devil attacked me really hard today. Uh, you know, and we say that, and, and, I, and believe me, I understand what is said by that. But, you know, if you take a look at your Bible, uh, there are very, very few people that have ever been attacked by the devil himself. I was going through, and I don't know that I've missed any. I've tried to, to be pretty exhaustive in this. And if someone has, a, has a, an addition to this, they can let me know. But the only ones that I could find in the Bible that were directly, directly attacked by Satan himself was Adam, Job, David, Peter, and of course Jesus Christ. Those are the only ones that I could find that were really directly attacked by Satan. Now, when we say that we're being attacked by the devil, we mean that that we're being attacked by those that follow him, whether we call them fallen angels or whether we call them devils, and uh, as the modern Bibles would call them, demons. Those are the the ones responsible 
for uh, the tax that we face. Now, to get an idea of what we're talking about and to, to put some spiritual legs to it, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And take a look in uh, all... Let's start in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then it goes on suggesting or uh, telling us that we need to put on the whole armor of God to be able to withstand these things, <clears throat> these attacks by these spiritual forces. Now, when you take a look at verse 12, notice how it's written. It says, for we, Christians, wrestle not against flesh and blood, human beings, but against principalities and powers and so forth and so on. He makes a distinct distinction between flesh and blood and those spiritual entities that war against us. Now, to get an idea, let's take a look again. Go to Isaiah chapter 24, and this will give us uh, also uh, uh, an indication that these are not uh, physical beings. And when I say physical, I mean human. <clears throat> in uh, Isaiah chapter 24, take a look in uh, verse 21. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. You see how he's making a distinction there? Those, uh, those high ones that are on high, they're up in heavenly places. They're not on some mountain or something like that. They're in heavenly places. And uh, then the kings that are on the earth. Now, a lot of people have a hard time with that. You know, they, they just, you know, they read things in their Bible and they just pass over it and they don't really consider what they're, what's being said. Take a look in uh, 1 Corinthians and we'll get uh, some more clarification on this. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's take a look, uh, let's start in verse... Uh, 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beast, another of fish, fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. In other words, celestial being heavenly bodies and bodies terrestrial meaning earthly bodies, human bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one uh, glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. <clears throat> so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in incorruption. It is raised, uh, I'm sorry, it is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Now, obviously, he's talking about the resurrection, and he's talking about us in the fact that when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, we're still in this physical body. It is corrupt. It is wicked. Uh, but one day, when the Lord comes back, uh, he is going to make this body new, and he's going to resurrect this body, and it's going to become a spiritual body. It's going to be a body just like Jesus Christ's, and it's going to be able to do the things that Jesus Christ's body did. If you'll remember with me, uh, following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he, the disciples are all within a room, the door being shut, the windows being shut, and all of a sudden Jesus Christ shows up and uh, is, uh, manifests himself right in the midst of them. And they thought they'd seen a ghost, and of course he tells them to f fear not and so forth. And he, he tells them to come up and touch him. And in one place, when he meets up with again, uh, he says, have you any meat? And he takes some broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he eats it in front of them. So this body of a spiritual being is not like a ghost, you know, uh, this white apparition, you know, kind of misty and hazy. Uh, a spiritual body can be tangible, but it's not confined to the earthly dimension that we are confined in. It is a spiritual being. Now, like I said, this terrestrial body, this body that we are living in right now is confined. We cannot see the spiritual realm. Um, take, a, take your Bible and go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I'll get there in a second. I'm breaking in a new Bible and it doesn't want to turn the pages for me as quickly as I'm accustomed to. Hebrews chapter 1. Let's take a look in verse 7. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. So what he has, what you have here is you, you have uh, angels are spiritual beings. Again, they have a tangible body that can be felt and touched, but they're not confined to the earthly confines like our body is confined. In fact, he calls them uh, ministers of flame of fire. Um, go to uh, go to Second Kings chapter six. This is what Bible study is all about. It's taking your Bible and seeing things from the Bible instead of somebody just spouting off from the top of their head and saying things and not really having any scripture to back it up. Just a little bit of a background here: the king of Syria is trying to make war with the king of Israel. And every time he sets his uh, troops in array to go and fight and take over the nation of Israel, a prophet by the name of Elisha is uh, thwarting his efforts. He's, he's giving intel to the uh, captain of the guard and to the king. And so the nation of Israel is always prepared for this, for the king of Syria, <clears throat> and, and uh, defeats him. And so finally, the king of Syria gets some information and finds out that it's Elisha that's doing this. And, and uh, so he wants to take care of this informant. And so he takes some people and he, he compasses the city roundabout where Elisha is. And uh, we're going to pick it up here in verse 13. We'll get a little bit of that information. 
the king of Assyria, uh, of Assyria, of Syria, not Assyria. <clears throat> and he said in verse 13, and he said, go and spy where he is, talking about Elisha, uh, that uh, I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he uh, thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, the host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And this is Elijah speaking. He said, And he said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes and the, uh, of the young man. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now, those forces, those horses and chariots of fire were not visible to everybody around. The only one that could see it was the man of God. And then when he prayed and, and asked God to open up the eyes of the servant, then he was able, that servant was able to see into the spiritual realm. And he saw that those forces that were with Elijah were far outnumbered the forces that were with the king of Syria. And of course, the story goes on, he blinds them and so forth and so on. But the point that I wanted to make is the fact that there were some unseen hosts there that were made visible by the prayer of a, of a man of God. Now, go one more place, and we've got a, a number of places we're going to go today, so keep your Bible handy. But go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. This was the mysterious verse that we were looking for in an earlier podcast. Uh, and we eventually found it, but it took us a while. Matthew chapter 18, and uh, let's take a look at, in verse 10. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven there, the children's little ones, their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven." Now, obviously, this is where they get the, the guardian angels for children, and the case could be made that it's uh, for us as well. But do you realize what you have here? You have a spiritual representation of little ones that are in heaven beholding the face of God. Now, what I did, what I wanted to do is I wanted to prepare you for what you're about to read. Go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. We've been through this a little bit, and I'm really not going to go into it in great detail, but I want to expose it to you so that you can uh, get an idea what we're, what we're trying to get across here. Ezekiel chapter 28. In Ezekiel chapter 28, <clears throat> the, the, the Lord tells uh, Ezekiel to prophesy against two individuals here. He tells him to prophesy against the prince of Tyrus, there in verse 2. 
And he also tells him to prophesy against the king of Tyrus in, uh, in verse uh, 12. And uh, I'm just going to give you the skinny on it right from the, st- uh, right from the beginning. The prince of Tyrus is, uh, uh, in concer- concerns the Antichrist, and the king of Tyrus is concerning the devil himself. Now, if you were to take a look in verse 2 and see some of the, the qualifications there or, or some of the things that is said about the prince of Tyrus, there's no mistaking who that is. That's the Antichrist coming in the middle of the tribulation. But let's, let's draw our attention here to uh, uh, verse 12. It says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Notice it. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created, not born. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast uh, upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Now, we could go on and, and, and uh, read further, but what I want to try to do is I want to try to show you that there is a physical being here on this earth that has a spiritual representative, and that spiritual representative of this king of Tyrus is the devil himself. There were only three people that are three beings that were in the Garden of Eden, and all three of them were created. You had the devil, the serpent, you had Adam, and you had Eve. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they were forced out of the garden, and God put a, a, a cherub there at the gate of that garden so that no one else could enter in because the tree of life was there in that garden. And uh, so he prevents anyone else from going in there. And here he's talking about this king of Tyrus being in Eden. And of course, he says he was perfect in beauty until iniquity was found in him. If you want to read about that iniquity, go to Isaiah chapter 14, and you can read about that. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to lay the groundwork, the fact that there are spiritual representatives for people and actually nations and so forth, as you can see that later, uh, here on this earth. Um, take a look in... Uh, take a look in... Uh, uh, Matthew, uh, no, we already did that. Go to Daniel. Go to Daniel. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Here, just a little bit of background. You find that Daniel is uh, uh, beseeching God. And he's asking God to, uh, for some things, and, and he's offered up a prayer request, and God wants to answer this prayer. And it ends up that Daniel's fasting and praying for three weeks. And uh, we'll pick up the narrative in verse 10. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. So he's laying down on his face on the ground, 
And an angel comes down, which we find out later. An angel comes down and touches him and uh, raises him up to his hands and knees. And uh, he starts to speak to him. Verse 11, and he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, under, uh, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee uh, am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, what you have here is you've, you've got someone that's dis, dispensed of God to give an answer to Daniel the first day he prayed. But in that spiritual realm, out in the heavenlies, you have something identified as the, 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 the prince of Persia withstanding him, preventing him from delivering the message. The battle goes on for some time until Michael is sent down to run interference so that the answer, the, the, uh, the angel can be relieved and, and give the answer to Daniel. Now, take a look in verse 19. Uh, talking about this angel again. And said, old, old man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee, and be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. And he said, uh, and then said he, Knowest thou whether I come unto thee? And now will I return and fight with the prince of Persia uh, when I am come forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. Now, here we've got a spiritual battle taking place. And uh, go, to, go to Revelation chapter 12, and we'll see this again. Revelation chapter 12. There are spiritual entities that are represented by physical beings down here. And when, uh, when God wants to address them, he, he addresses them through that spiritual representative. Now, in uh, Revelation chapter 12, uh, if you know anything about the book of Revelation, the woman that's talked about here is, the, is, the, uh, is Israel, the nation of Israel, and um, has some difficulty. She's getting ready to deliver a child. And, of course, uh, a lot of people think it's the Lord Jesus Christ, but this is future after Jesus Christ has already been here. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some problems with that, that we're not here for that Bible study, but maybe for another time. But I want to draw your attention to verse 3. And there was another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns upon his heads. Now, a lot of people, when they start reading this, they want to make this figurative, and they want to allegorize it instead of believing what it says. But you need to believe what it says. 
Take a look in verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Now, if you want to know what stars are, you go back to Revelation chapter 1, and it shows you, gives you the definition, those stars are angels. <clears throat> and he cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God to his throne. Now, you know, what we're reading about is happening during the tribulation, not at the first advent of Jesus Christ. Um, a lot of things take place there. Take a look at verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him." Sometime along in the, during the tribulation, the devil is going to draw a third part of the stars, the angels, and he's going to have war with Michael and his angels. And uh, when that battle is done, uh, the devil's going to be cast down to the earth, a spiritual being. He's going to be cast down to the earth, and the angels are going to be cast down with him. And this goes hand in hand with what man, uh, Matt talked about in the podcast about uh, do angels have wings, where it talks about those angels, those fallen angels, which were identified there in Genesis chapter 6 and some of the things that they did there. So you have these spiritual beings that are doing some, uh, having war take place there in heaven. And they have a spiritual representative. Now, again, I just want to uh, make clear, those fallen angels are called the sons of God. They were found in, uh, in Job chapter 38. Before the creation of the earth took place, those morning stars sang and the sons of God shouted for joy. And when God created the heaven and the earth. So they're there before the earth is created. So they're not the godly line of Seth and all this kind of stuff. They're there before that. You find them in, uh, in uh, Gen uh, Genesis chapter 6. And then I want you to go to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Now, we're going to move a little bit away from this, but I want to help you to see that there is a spiritual warfare taking place. And these fallen angels uh, can do some things. And uh, I want to try to show you how this is, how this is accomplished. Um, oh, let's uh, take a look in Job chapter 1, and let's take a look in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, 
that there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast, uh, hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? And hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land? But put forth now, uh, put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in, thine, in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And then we go on and we read all the things that happens to Job and all the things, just one thing after another after another. All of his possessions are taken away. All of his children die. And uh, we read about Job that he, he blesses the Lord. He doesn't curse him. Now, one thing that we, we want to take from this, just as a side note in, in the regards of our being attacked uh, by spiritual beings, is the fact that they cannot do anything more than what God allows them to do. And that's a very important thing to understand. They cannot do anything to you unless God allows it. Now, it's not God doing the tempting. It's not God doing the judgment or anything else, but God allows it to take place. This brings to, to mind a verse found in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen: There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able? So any temptation that comes your way that God allows to take place, God knows you can handle it if you do it the right way. So that's the key, is handling it the right way. You can get through any temptation if you do it the right way. Look for the way of escape, as it goes on uh, further in that verse in 1 Corinthians 10.13. So you have, uh, have Job, he's attacked by the devil. And then uh, go to Job chapter 2. <clears throat> Job chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came and presented themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto uh, Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in, in uh, the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still... He holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. That's another thing. Sometimes things happen to us for no reason at all. There wasn't a reason that God did that thing other than the fact that he wanted to brag on Job. <laughs> notice the answer, or notice in verse 4. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yea, all will, uh, that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth now, or put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a posture, and scraped himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. 
Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he, uh, but he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we not receive good at... Uh, Shall we receive good in the hand of the Lord, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, uh, did not Job sin with his lips? Now, I, I really went through all of this to bring to, to, to light a conversation that took place in heaven between Satan and the Lord. Notice what the Lord says there at the end of verse uh, 3. He says, although thou movest... Uh, nope, it's right before that. And still he holdeth fast his integrity. Now notice what his wife says to him in verse 9. Now this is when the devil's working on him. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Where did she get that from? Curse God and die. Uh, that really sounds like a sympathetic wife, one that wants to try and comfort her husband in his time of need. Now, what I believe is taking place there is that the very thing that was said between God and Satan, Satan kind of used that against him. And he used Job's wife to accomplish that. Now, what I'm saying is, is that there are times when um, we may say something in innocency and the devil takes that thing and uses it from the mouth to the ear. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, I believe it is, verse 2, that Satan is the, the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. I believe he can take things that are said from our mouth and twist it before it gets into the ear of the, of the receiver and makes it come out differently than what it was intended. If you've been married for any period of time, you know that's so. You can say something in perfect innocency, and all of a sudden, whatever you said, boy, it struck a chord, and man, uh, all of a sudden, all the fur is flying and everything else is going on, and, and you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, what in the world is going on? What, what did I say? In conversations with uh, co-workers or whatever, you know, some guy's having a real bad day and, and you have no idea that he's having a bad day and you come up and you say something and the devil takes it and uses that thing and just sets him off. Just sets him off. You know those things are happening. You know, when cooler heads prevail at, after time and, and everything's settled down, you know, and, and you can actually talk about the circumstance you could talk about the conversation coolly without getting upset about it. And you can say, look, you know, I don't know what made you upset. You know, all I said was this. So, yeah, well, I heard it like this. And see, that's the prince, the power of the air. He is the God of this world. And he uses his minions, he uses his fallen angels to affect and do things. Now, Pastor Matt, you could probably attest to this as, as any preacher can attest to it. When you uh, are up there in the pulpit and you're, you're preaching along and you're getting down to a real critical time, maybe right before the invitation or you've got the illustration that's, that's going to drive your point home, and all of a sudden the baby starts to cry or somebody drops a hymn book or, you know, coincidental things take place. I don't believe those things are coincidences. 
I think those things happen, and uh, they're happened by design to to draw attention away from the the message at hand. Now you say, are these people demon possessed? No, I don't think they're demon possessed. I think they're just used by the devil to do something. The reason why I say that is I'd like for you to go to uh, uh, Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 16. This is a Bible illustration of what I just said. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus Christ asks, asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? I, the Son of Man, am. And, and uh, some say they're John the Baptist. Uh, some say Elias. Some say Jeremiah. Some say uh, one of the prophets. And then he asks the question, whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter speaks up. He says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now notice what Jesus says. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonas, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, Peter's doing a great job. He speaks up. He speaks the truth. He speaks what's on his heart. And, and, and the Lord blesses him and says, Look, Peter, what you've just said, God the Father has shown you that. He's shown you that. Now, some things take place uh, going on there, but I believe it's still... In that same context, same conversation, take a look at verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be done unto thee. Now, Peter's speaking honestly. He's speaking from his heart. He says, Lord, this isn't going to happen to you. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Notice what Jesus Christ did. But the Lord turned, uh, but, uh, but he turned and said unto, unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now, Peter wasn't demon-possessed any more than you or I are. But the devil used him to say something that was wrong and incorrect. And we need to be careful about those things. We need to be prayerful about what we say and not just shoot off at the mouth. Now, I commend Peter. You know, a lot of people give him a real bad rap. Uh, You know, the other disciples didn't have the guts that Peter had. And uh, Peter was always right there, ready, willing, give an answer, yay or nay. And uh, he stuck his foot in his mouth plenty of times, but the Lord blessed him. And the Lord loved him. And the Lord used him. And the Lord used him after he even did this. But the devil got in there. The devil got in there and said, Peter said an inappropriate thing. In all sincerity and in all honesty. But he said something that was not right. And that's the warning for you and I. We are fighting a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle. How many times 
uh, any one of you guys, I'm sure there in the, in the studios would, would attest to this. And those of you who listen to me have ever done any personal work. You get out there and you start dealing with somebody about their soul. And you, you open up the Bible and you get into some things and, and uh, you know, they're, they're interested, they're wanting to learn. And uh, all of a sudden the phone rings. Or somebody makes this huge racket or somebody comes, drives up into the driveway, and, and now, you know, the opportunity is lost, and, and you can't get back to where you were. Those things don't happen by chance. They're, they're satanically driven to try to thwart the work of God, and we've got to be aware of those things. Now, I'd like for you to go to Second uh, uh, Corinthians Second Corinthians chapter 10, and I, and I want to draw this thing to a close. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10, let's take a look in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Remember what it said there in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so forth. Look at it. Look at this thing again in, in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a, a readiness and the revenge uh, all uh, disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, there are several things here, and I'm going to try to make them short. But you realize that the spiritual warfare isn't just on outside circumstances. It's going on inside of your head. You ever get some of the nasty old thoughts that come back from the old life? Uh, you know, sometimes we may do that on our own, but most of the time it's, it's, you know, like, whoa, where in the world did that come from? And, you know, it says here, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity Every thought to the obedience of Christ, that thought of the old life and the devil trying to entertain of how fun it was and, oh, how much you enjoyed it and, and all the, the good times you had with all of that stuff, trying to get you to, to get away from the spiritual life and go back into the carnal life. That is the spiritual warfare. And you need to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There's a lot of means and methods by doing that. Um, whether it's quoting a verse of scripture like Jesus Christ quoted when the devil tempted him in the wilderness. Whether it's singing a hymn. Whether it's occupying your mind with something else. Whether it's memorizing a verse of scripture or reading scripture or praying and getting down on your knees and saying, God, get this thing out of my head. I don't want it there anymore. Casting down imaginations, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to, 
engage the spiritual battle. We can't just let it idly pass by us and just float along and ding along in our Christian life. We've got to fight against him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's the admonition. Now, the other thing is, is then we've kind of alluded to it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, when someone says something to us that sets us off, that we hear it in a way probably not intended, the worst thing in the world that you could do is lash back at the person that said it. That's the worst thing. You're fighting against the flesh. We can't, you know, somebody that, that, that comes up and tries to oppose us when we're trying to witness to somebody. You know, the, the temptation is to lash out at them. It's not them. They don't really know what they're doing. They don't really understand the ramifications of what's transpiring right there. They don't know that somebody's soul is in the balances between heaven and hell. They don't understand that. But the spirit behind it is. And that's where the work needs to go. You know, and we've been doing this for years, and I'm sure it's a practice that hasn't gone away. But, you know, when you go out witnessing, you go by twos. And we always talk about the second person that's not doing the initial conversation should be the prayer partner, the one that's praying and asking God not to allow devil to get in there and to do things and to disrupt things and to interrupt things, uh, to run interference should someone come up the driveway and, and want to engage the person that you're talking to. They, they run interference. They go and intercept them and not, not allow the, the, the spiritual conversation to be interrupted. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. You know, in the spiritual armor that's given, there's two things that are given as offensive weapons. One is alluded to, the other one is spoken of directly. One is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. The other one is prayer. And it talks about standing. It says that several places, to stand. We're not to allow these things to idly go by. We're to stand. It says back there in Ezekiel that God's looking for a man to stand in the gap. And I tell you what, it says there in Ephesians uh, 6, at least three times, if not more, that he wants you to stand. Stand, therefore, with your loins girt about with truth. Stand, stand, stand. Don't give in. Don't give up. Fight the spiritual battle with spiritual means. That's the only way you can do that. Now, it's going to be tiresome. It's going to be weary. You're going to get weary in that battle. You're going to get beat up. But I tell you what, the only way that you're ever going to have victory is if you fight it with the means that God has given you to fight it with. I've always tried to live my life, my Christian life, with this adage, to be forewarned, is to be forearmed. And if you know about something and, and you say, you know, something happens to you and you say, ah, yeah, Brother Steve told me that was going to happen. Okay, now let's deal with it. Deal with it. Instead of just being hammered and hammered and hammered and hammered and not knowing where in the world you're going to go, what you're going to do, and how you're going to defend against it. You've been forewarned about a spiritual battle. And the devil's going to come after you, the devil and his and his angels are going to come after you. And they're going to try to get you to quit. 
They're going to try to get you to quit reading your Bible. They're going to try to get you to quit going to church. They're going to try to get you to quit praying. They're going to try to get you to quit uh, passing out tracts and witnessing for the Lord. They're going to try to get you from being the testimony at work that you ought to be. They're going to try to get you to compromise instead of speaking the truth, just kind of say half truths so that you don't get in so much trouble. All of these things are spiritual things, and they're fighting against you every day, and you need to stand against the wiles of the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I urge you to engage in that spiritual battle. Thanks a lot, guys, for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Steve, that was great. Thank you. I'm um, the Lord. I guess I'd just like to pose the question, I guess, to everybody here. How, how do you resist the devil? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have something for that. <laughs> well, I was trying to give somebody else an opportunity, but you, you resist the devil by, by doing the things, by being offensive, by quoting the scripture, by doing right anyway. You know, Young Christians are, are a rather strange lot. And I, I mean, I, I say that lovingly, really, I do. You know, when you're trying to get them to come to church and, you know, they're just newly saved and really don't know what's going on, you know what? The devil will give them a headache and therefore they won't come to church. Well, if the devil succeeds in that attempt, you know what's going to happen every time they're serious about going to church? They're going to get a headache. Or they're, they're going to have a fight with their spouse. Or the kids are going to act up. Any reason at all to stop and not, not do the right thing. Until you finally stand up and say, I'm going to do it no matter what. And when you, when you determine to go to church, no matter what kind of interference you get, then he flees. It's simple as that. I don't know if you guys yeah. got anything else on that. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, when you look at the whole armor of God, too, you know, he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse uh, 11, God says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, I think a lot of times, uh, a lot of Christians, and even uh, us sometimes, you know, we only put on some of the armor. You know, we don't put on the whole armor, and God says, listen, if you're going to be in that spiritual warfare with the devil and with his uh, with his uh, uh, devils and all that, I mean, you got to put on the whole armor, not just part of it, you know. Mm. And then you look in verse 16, where it says, "Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked." I mean, you, you have a lot of people talking about, well, what's the shield of faith? And and I truly believe that's First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Where uh, God says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I mean, that shield of faith is, you know, the promises that God's given us. You know, and like, like Brother Steve, you said, I mean, the devil and his, his minions are going to come after you and say, you know, what you're doing is not right. You know, I don't know how many times if, uh, you know, I've only been saved for a little over four years. But I don't know how many times I've been out there on the streets, uh, street preaching. And, uh, you know, giving gospel tracts or going door knocking. And, you know, the devil I know brings people my way and our way. You know, even a lot more Christians than even lost people that say, listen, you're doing it the wrong way. You know, even if, you know, that's how they did it in the Bible, you know, you're doing it the wrong way today. That's not how it should be done. You know, and and no matter how many, you know, trouble they give you, you know, they even people spit on your face, you know, they yell at you, they cuss at you. And, you know, a lot of times it just feels like, you know, what we're doing is just no good. You know, it's not doing any good. 
And, uh, you know, that's the devil just shooting those fiery darts at you. And mm-hmm. uh, what you got to do is you just got to put up that shield just to, you know, quench those fiery darts. And uh, just know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the shield of faith, you know, that you have that faith in God, uh, those promises of God. I mean, you've got the devil coming at you and say, you know, boy, God really put you through that. You know, he put you through uh, all those hard times and uh, he really gave it to you good. And that's when you say, you know what? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And you know, have the devil. You have the devil comes at you and says, you know, boy, this temptation is just too much. You know, just go ahead, just go ahead and go into this temptation. And then, mm-hmm. like you said, brother Steve, you know, First Corinthians ten thirteen, just quote that. You know, and mm-hmm. then the devil will say, well, this is too hard. You know, you can't do this. Just put. You just have to put up that shield of faith and say Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's just so tough. You know that, and I think a lot of new Christians, even and even maybe some Christians that have been saved for a long time they maybe put away some of their armor. You know, they might have that Bible, the, 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 the sword of, of the Spirit, and, you know, they attack with it, but then they, you know, drop their shield. And what mm-hmm. happens is they just get, you know, they say, boy, this, you know, just attacking, attacking isn't doing enough. Street preaching isn't doing enough. And they just give up because the, uh, you know, those fiery darts come after them and they, they get them after a while. And uh, mm-hmm. then they get down and then they never get back up. Amen. Goes back to let us not be weary in well doing, right? For in due season we shall reap. Yeah. And uh, brother Joe, you were saying that uh, we talked a little bit earlier that you were out on the road and you're traveling. How many months out of the year? Uh, around nine, eight or nine months out of the year. And you're going to places that people don't know you. I mean, you certainly have the. I guess you could have the temptation to to uh, sin. Or- oh, definitely. Yes, uh, you know we're. We're all tempted, and and I was talking about how uh, Satan attacks. But uh, one of the things that really uh, keeps me on track is is just focusing on my ministry and how great it is to serve the Lord and tell people about Jesus and and uh, think that uh, you know with Satan's attack, he in his goal is to end all of that. And I heard an old preacher say one time concerning the verse, uh, we we wrestle not against principalities and powers and and so on. He says, yeah, the problem is uh, we wrestle not. There are so many people that, you know, it is a battle and it's a struggle and it's a warfare and people, uh, you, you have to understand that. And, and, and I like what uh, Brother Steve was saying, we have to be on the offense. You know, the Bible says that the the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, and we're at the gates of hell. We're on the offense, Amen. and um, I think if you stay focused on what uh, and and you have uh, what God wants you to do and His purpose in your heart, and you stay focused upon that, it it really makes the things of this world uh, grow strangely dim, and uh, we have to remember just um, that Satan is constantly a roaring lion attacking us, and. I think that he's blinded folks in that um, they think uh, they they don't think that he's working. You know, they don't. Mm-hmm. And, and I love this study because it shows us that hey, he is a real person, and and demons are real, and they are out mm-hmm. there attacking us on a daily basis. And we need to wrestle. We need to put on the armor. We need to be in the fight. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's I think that's a very important key. Uh, to all of that, and that that's certainly something that helps me stay on on the road as an evangelist. And definitely, I know Satan doesn't want me on the road, doesn't want mm-hmm. me preaching revivals, mm-hmm. doesn't want to see people saved, doesn't want any of the men you know in this podcast, he doesn't want us in the ministry. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we have to realize that. And um, you know, 
and he doesn't doesn't want Christians to serve the Lord or people to be saved. So that's something I think that really helps and is key. There's two things that I I wanted to add that I was just just thinking of when uh, as just as uh, as Brother Steve here was 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 talking about is in resisting the devil is that it's 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 Bible that we quote and it's Bible that we memorize right. and use yeah. this to to help resist the devil. And I, I, it reminds me of. Uh, Jesus says he was fasting for forty days, and there, yeah. uh, you know, Satan came to him in the wilderness, and and, uh, and you know, tempted him to change the uh, to turn the the stones into bread, and and we know that Jesus began to quote scripture. That's right. You know, he says, "Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of of God." He said, "It's by the words of the very words of God that we're to uh, fight Satan." We see he then quoted scripture again. We find two more times, you know, uh, is that's what we're to use, you know, in the battle. You know, it's it's we look at the 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 armor that we have, but really the only weapon that we have is the sword. It's That's it's right. the word of God. Uh, another thing that I was that just uh, brought to my memory is when we go out soul when we go out door knocking and witnessing. You know, many times we're we're tempted just to uh, you know kind of just invite someone to church or maybe give them a track and and walk away and think, oh, you know, God's word won't come back void. And, and but we need to think, you know. Uh, that uh, that they're also going through a battle too. Yeah. That Satan doesn't want them to read that track, doesn't yeah. want them to get well, saved, that's and good. Good point. and so you know, so it's it's easy for us to just just walk away. But we want to, you know, we need to realize that there is a battle going on. I had a pastor mm-hmm. just recently. I was talking to him, and he was saying, "Well, you know, uh, you just got to feel the spirit, whether he's moving to witness to someone or not." And I said, "Well, hold on, there's another spirit too that's <laughs> that's fighting, that's battling with us, you know, and and uh, we just need to go and just be obedient to God's word." Uh, equip ourselves with the word of God and and give it out and realize that you know when we when we, even when we invite someone to church, you know we know that there's going to be every excuse they can think of on <laughs> Sunday morning for them not to come. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, I was I was encouraged by another pastor who was telling me he says he said, "Well, do everything you can to cancel out their excuses when you invite them to church. Say, you know, you know, make make them say a date that day they're going to come. You know, tell them you're going to pick them up." You know, invite them out to dinner after. You know, just try and do everything that you can to help them to get there, and then That's and then great. tell them he's then tell them that hey, you're a man of your word, and that that you know when you say you're going to pick them up, you'll do it, and so that <laughs> makes them feel like they have to be a man of their word, yeah. you know, and and keep their word for uh, coming to church on that date. But many things that that we can use, but you know, it's the word of God which we use. But we need to realize, yes, there is a is a battle. And what. And- and just one other thing, what would you say to the folks that the Christians that you know maybe do mess up and they get discouraged? I guess that's me. Um, <laughs> Anybody that wants to answer? Yeah. <laughs> well, I know I know that uh, that you know Christians do. Everyone gets discouraged and and goes absolutely <laughs> and goes through the battles. Even as a pastor, I mean, I'm, I try to hide it from everyone else in the church. You know, I just you want to act like you, you know nothing bothers you, but uh, you know it does, and, and you go through attacks, and mm-hmm. uh, and of course we we know what to do. We know you know getting the word of God, we spend time in prayer, but uh, but you know sometimes we you just go through those mechanics. But you gotta you gotta really you know seek that, and and I say get get together with other Christians in fellowship as we fellowship together. You know, there's strength and numbers as we as we as we get together and. And uh, study God's word, and and talk to your pastor. You know, let your pastor know what's going on in your life. You know, God gave you a pastor, a local church. You t- you're to be a part of, and and uh, He's there to help, encourage you, to guide you, protect you, and to take you through the scriptures. Amen. Yeah. Amen. 
Well, the scripture says a just man falleth down seven times and riseth right. up again. Amen. So, you know, you know, I, if you're talking to somebody that, that has fallen and is discouraged, join the club. <laughs> we're, <laughs> yeah. we're all in it. And, uh, you know, just been saved long enough to realize it. And, and I say this with full understanding that I could fall and, and never get back up again. And that would not be my desire. I just know that the devil is powerful enough to, to hit you with everything he has and, and you ain't going to get back up. But the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we have uh, at our disposal, by the grace of God, the ability to get back up no matter what transpires. And, uh, you know, if you just give up and give in, you're giving in to what the devil wants. The Lord wants you to get up. The Lord wants you to serve him. The Lord wants you to always be vigilant and, and uh, to work for him. And if you just lay down and just give up, then you're doing what the devil wants. Amen. Well, with that knowledge, you know, we are, we are forewarned and forearmed. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's good to acknowledge that, you know, there is a battle and that sometimes we, right. may not, we may not always do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And but we can't give up, you know, because what are you going to do? Go back to the world? Yeah. World does yeah. the world doesn't have anything for us, That's you know. Right. And in the times that I've been away from the Lord, I've been miserable. That's right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just yeah. you, I just can't keep. There's no way I could do that. There's no way I could keep going that way. Mm-hmm. So press on. Amen. All right, guys. Anything else for the good of the uh, for the good of the cause? I've been showing I a lot of restraint not hitting those crickets. <laughs> that was some cause there, buddy. <laughs> I just think back again on Ephesians chapter 6 and just uh, just standing in his promises. You know, I mean, he tells us to go out and uh, again, you know, his word won't come back void, you know, and, and just keep going out and preaching the gospel. And that's what we're commanded to do, go into all the world and preach the gospel and, and uh, pray without ceasing and and uh, study to show thyself approved unto God, and uh, you know, and just just serve the Lord, you know, and just uh, keep working, and, and as Paul said, you know, keep running your race and finish your course, and and just don't give up, you know, because again, that's what the devil wants. Amen. The only thing I'd say to to finish up, at least what I have to say, is be spiritually aware that you're not uh, used of the devil uh, to say things that would be harmful and hurtful to someone else. I mean, think before you speak and, and uh, go prayerfully instead of just ramming through it. Amen. One thing I really got out of uh, the message was uh, Joe's wife being used by, uh, used by Satan there, and I said, I better watch out for my wife. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll make you sure she hears that, that brother. <laughs> I'll make sure she hears that, too. <laughs> oh. Lori, I love you. <laughs> Anything you want to say, Pastor Man? No, that's it. I'm good. <laughs> All right, guys. What are you going to say, Matt? I just wanted to just uh, leave with this one thing. You know, I had this quote uh, from Greg Eastep. He said, when you fall in love with your Bible, or the more you fall in love with your Bible, the more you fall in love with God. And that's I think right. that's so true. I mean, the more you read Amen. this book and fall in love with it, the more God is just so joyous and so amazing and, mm-hmm. and merciful and long-suffering. Amen. 
Amen. Well, well, Lord willing, we'll, uh, I don't know if we'll see everybody here again. Brother Joe, I know you'll be out on the road and stuff, but maybe you can join us again sometime. I'd love to if I'm, if I'm in town, I will. Love to have you with us. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. All right, God bless. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.